0: You're listening to Cybersecurity Careers Blog Podcast, hosted by Rob Waters. Hello and welcome. This is Rob Waters. I'm your host. This is the Cybersecurity Careers Podcast. Today is Friday, December 16th, 2022. And this is episode five of our podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in. It's been quite a bit since we've last had an episode, but There's been several things that have happened in the cyberspace since we've last talked. First and top of mind is the continuing to degrade situation with Twitter. It's no secret that since Elon Musk has taken over, that Twitter has been on really a downward spiral. There's been mass defections of users, especially amongst the InfoSec community. There's also been top executive resignations. And just yesterday, there was significant bans done by Elon Musk of high profile journalists from our top news organizations across the US. These accounts belong to people such as CNN's Donny O'Sullivan, The New York Times' Ryan Mack, Washington Post's Drew Harwell, and other journalists who have covered Musk aggressively in recent weeks. They were abruptly permanently suspended. There was no real reason given and Musk nor Twitter have responded to any requests as to why the journalists have been um, pretty much excluded from the platform. So I mentioned that Infosec has pretty much entirely defected and left Twitter for Mastodon. Now, interestingly, The official Mastodon Twitter account was also suspended. I guess Twitter and Elon Musk just don't seem to like the fact that there is uh, a growing competitor to its platform. And um, despite Elon Musk's claims for freedom of speech and that the platform will be uh, for open discussion and uh, from the left and the right or whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, uh, that clearly has not translated into the real world. So it's been about seven weeks now since Musk purchased Twitter for over forty-four billion, and um, you know I, I don't think I need to repeat the disaster that Twitter Blue was, uh, where people were essentially able to just pay eight dollars. A month for access to a verified Twitter blue checkmark that obviously led to mass impersonations, uh, even led to a temporary dip in stock value and total market uh, total market value of Eli Lilly when a fake verified Eli Lilly uh, Twitter account basically said that we are, I believe, either heavily discounting or making um some of their uh, medical treatments free so that obviously is a recipe for disaster did not go over well twitter has since suspended the twitter blue program they are approaching the relaunch of it and they're also giving the blue check mark now to people that either inherited it from previous uh prior to musk acquiring Twitter uh, or um, people who subscribe to Twitter Blue, other official accounts like, for example, uh, government officials or something like that, or news organizations are going to have a yellow check mark. I think what we're seeing is just mass confusion, right? The, the rules seem to change by the day. They're not even really um, set in stone or, I would say, fairly enforced. So it's just been an absolute disaster. And really, the InfoSec community is one of the few that I think as a whole collectively said, we're not going to endorse this platform anymore. We're not going to support this platform. We're not going to participate on this platform. Uh, and so they have largely gone to a specific Mastodon server, which is called InfoSec.exchange. So you would just open up your browser and go to InfoSec. We have a full guide on our blog, which is cybercareers.blog. If you're interested in walking through the process of actually signing up and some of the highlights or how it's different from Twitter, it largely operates the same in concept. uh, That being, you know, it's microblogging. You're able to follow people just like you would be on Twitter. You're able to create lists or things of that nature. Some of the fundamental differences, though, is that Mastodon is decentralized. So you have the ability as a server administrator, anyone with a server could essentially launch their own Mastodon server and make it on a specific topic or community interest. And optionally, they could opt into sharing or connecting their Mastodon server to other popular Mastodon servers. This is what's known and referred to as the Fediverse. So, because you're essentially federating that uh, identity and that um, that Mastodon community with other popular Mastodon communities, if you choose not to federate with other Mastodon communities, then it essentially becomes a single platform, a single server instance of Mastodon because it is based on open source. And you would have to register for an account individually on that Mastodon server. Um, But InfoSec Exchange does federate with most of the popular Mastodon servers or or platforms, whatever you want to refer to it as. So for example, like Mastodon.social is another very popular Mastodon instance. And so you have many people that kind of cross-communicate between the Mastodon instances. Now, what some of the key differences here are is, of course, because it's open source and it's not owned by a company, um, it, in a sense, could be the Wild West, meaning that it's going to be administrated and patrolled um, by whoever these Mastodon server instances, admin team or moderator team are, right? Not too much different from like a traditional web form right? Um, Anyone can launch a web forum as well, and whatever content is discussed on there is going to be enforced or moderated by people who moderate the board. Same as that concept with Mastodon. Um, Jerry Bell is the administrator uh, for infosec.exchange. He's extremely active in the community. He's been interviewed multiple times, even by CyberScoop News. So I highly recommend that if you're going to leave Twitter once and for all, and now seems like a great time more than ever, uh, that you go ahead and just go ahead and register an account on infosec.exchange. Full disclosure, uh, our blog did uh, subscribe to Twitter Blue, um, but given the recent um, kind of continuing antics that we're seeing on Twitter, um, I just can't in good conscience endorse that platform and choose to support it financially anymore. Um, so I have canceled the Twitter blue subscription. Um, so whenever it expires and you know the pay period ends, that's just going to be it. Um, I may continue to tweet there, you know, when we have new content announcements or something like that, but our regular kind of interaction with the community and posts or topics of interest, things of that nature, is all going to be on Mastodon or other platforms. Now if Mastodon isn't quite your thing, there are other emerging platforms. Um, Post is a very popular one as well that's continuing to, I would say, uh, grow specifically to the journalism and journalist type community, news community. Um, Given what's just happened in the past 24 to 48 hours on Twitter, I would expect that Post is probably going to get bombarded with new requests for accounts Um, So if you're interested in that, it's post.news. Again, that's post.news. We are also on that platform. Um, I'm seeing pretty much a um, good activity level on there as well. I would say that it doesn't appear to be as uh, active whatsoever in terms of cybersecurity or InfoSec or kind of the hacking community, if you will, um, on Post. Versus Mastodon, it doesn't even hold it, you know, doesn't even come close. But um, each platform, again, has kind of their positives and negatives. Um, Post, I would say, is kind of a little bit more polished. Uh, I would say that it's, um, you know, kind of more user friendly for most people to use, but it also lacks things like, Um, a true native mobile app. It's completely browser driven right now, um, whether you're on your mobile phone or uh, desktop or laptop. So they don't yet have a true native iOS or Android app. Um, And there's just some other things that are kind of definitely on the roadmap for being launched, but it's not quite there. So if you're looking for kind of a more mature platform, I would say... And especially if you wanna discuss InfoSec, um, your choice is really one and that's infosec.mastodon. And if neither of these kind of social networks type uh, really kind of intrigue you, then I would say your last kind of real um, critical mass of users is going to be something like Reddit at this point, um, which again, we're active on. And there's really no need to introduce (laughs) any component of Reddit to anyone on this podcast, but it's just really kind of amazing. It's really a fall from grace that I don't think anyone really would have predicted um, outside of maybe a year or two ago for Elon Musk. It's really kind of disheartening to see someone that um, brought so much innovation and change to our world with things like SpaceX and Tesla and um, and you know prior to that paypal as well um say what you will about all those different companies but there's really a lot that we should be um as a planet kind of grateful for for that in you know that level of innovation um driving the change and you know kind of slingshotting us forward in technology but um this is like this is like mike lindell my pillow bad um really horrible and uh, I don't know, pretty pathetic. So that aside, um, wanted to just go ahead and say, give our blog a look if you're interested at some of the top people to follow on infosec.exchange, Mastodon. Um, we're gonna have another article here shortly, possibly later today on some other accounts to go ahead and uh, follow. But other than that, um, just honestly register and start start contributing um because that's what it's about so um hope to see more activity on there uh it's absolutely exploded in growth um it started out many years ago but um as of only about october there were something like i think well, like f- yeah, 180 users in October, just prior to Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. Now, um, there are over 46,000 users on InfoSec.exchange. That's just that Mastodon server. Um, Mastodon as a whole, there's over 5 million user accounts. And again, that number is just going to keep rising because Twitter is, it's it's done as a platform. There's no way it can sustain um, ex- existence with these uh, kind of, you know, reckless kind of um, silencing of whoever seems to criticize Elon Musk or whatever his pet peeves are of the day. So that aside, shifting topics, I think the biggest story that we want to discuss right now is FBI InfraGuard, um being hacked. So there's also a, an article on our blog which we again recommend you go ahead and check out for further detail and some more context. But if you're not familiar with InfraGard, it's uh, basically an online platform where members of critical infrastructure and cybersecurity are able to go ahead and be vetted by the FBI first to get into the platform and then contribute um, on internal discussion boards also offer kind of subject matter expertise if there's requests from the FBI on that kind of topic. Uh, And then it also serves as a way for the FBI to um, deliver kind of critical information if you're part of the critical infrastructure of cybersecurity uh, domains. So what happened here is that essentially someone was able to impersonate a CEO of a company They applied. And despite the vetting process for the FBI, uh, they did not ever attempt to call this person. They just went by email correspondence, which really enabled the uh, ability for this to occur. And they were then brought into the FBI's InfraGuard platform. They were then able to run and devise some kind of Python script to utilize a vulnerable API and extract the full database of all the members of FBI InfraGuard, which are actually over 80,000 members. So all their personal data is now have has been dumped into a database and it's for sale on a renowned hacker forum and it's available right now for $50,000. Now, I don't think that there's any way that this hacker is going to get $50,000 for this database. Um, In fact, about only half of them even have an email address associated with the names of the individual. So it's up to the individual once they're on the platform to enter in optional information like personal email addresses, um, phone numbers, things of that nature, who their current employer is. Um, So this database really is of very little value, but it's more about embarrassing the FBI, which they absolutely succeeded in doing. This hacker called the vetting effort surprisingly lax, according to uh, Brian Krebs from the Krebs on Security blog that actually broke this story. And even though the vetting process is supposed to take several months, this person was able to, I guess, get in in a matter of weeks. So interestingly, the real CEO that this person was impersonating was not even contacted once by the FBI, as in, hey, we got your application. We see that you're trying to apply for membership. There was none of that, um, even though the hacker used the real CEO's phone number. So it's kind of alarming that, again, a simple phone call by the FBI would have just blown this operation from even happening. Um, But here we are. We'll stay tuned in to any further developments on this issue. Right now, we're not anticipating that there's going to be any sort of significant personally identifiable information that will be leaked uh, in the future. So we're not anticipating that things of social security numbers or anything uh, like a private home address would be part of a future leap, but we'll stay tuned. That's going to do it for today's episode. We want to thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Cybersecurity Careers Blog Podcast. We realize that there's plenty of podcasts out there. We're doing everything we can to deliver fresh content. We'll be back before the holiday break, and thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. Please be sure to like and subscribe and share this podcast to your favorite social media platforms. Catch all the latest cybersecurity news and career advice on cybercareers.blog.